temporary? The sign gifts, and are they temporary? Um, All right, let's read our scripture. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, as I mentioned last week, that uh, in this passage, Paul lists nine spiritual gifts, but this is not a complete list. If you were here last week, you remember we talked about this. There are other spiritual gifts or other lists uh, denoted in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and then in Ephesians 4. Uh, if you put them all together, there are, there are lists, the Bible lists 20 spiritual gifts. And there's, you know, you can go down, we won't go through them this morning, prophecy, serving, teaching, on down, on down the line. Now, a few things we've learned so far about the spiritual gifts. Number one is you can't put them into this nice little box, right? It's not this thing where one person has it and another person doesn't. Um, I was thinking this week about an analogy, and I thought about cooking. If you ever, you know, some of, you ever been around somebody that's just got a gift for cooking? I mean, they just, they love to do it. They're enthusiastic. They can just whip stuff up. They don't need recipes. It's like they got a gift. But that doesn't mean, you know, 10 billion other people don't do it, right? It's like playing ball. There's, I've played balls with, guy, with guys growing up that just had this gift. They were just more naturally talented than other people. And a lot of them go on to play college and, and maybe they'll even play pro. But that doesn't mean that millions upon millions of other people don't do the same thing, right? They're not as good at it, but they still do it. Well, that's the way the gifts are. There's some people that just have certain gifts to do things. That doesn't mean that regular church members don't do them every day. Exhort, serve, uh, show mercy, helps, administration. All of us do some of those things. We may just not be, be gifted in it. The other thing we saw is that the Bible lists the gifts but never describes them. That, that just cont- I was meditating on that again this week and how that just continues to astound me, that it lists them but it doesn't describe them. And what that tells me is that the Holy Spirit probably is, is much more, uh, it's much more important for Him that for us to focus on the purpose of the gifts, which is helping other people, than it is trying to put these gifts into these nice, tight little definitions. He, he just, you know, we've said that before. And then last week, we, you know, we keep talking about people want to know, well, how do, I, how do I discover my gifts? Well, you know, if you want to go online and take a spiritual gifts test, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But the thing is, if you really want to discover your gift, just start doing, just start helping. Um, I was thinking about this this week and how it's true. I believe, you may not agree with this, but I believe that I have a gift of teaching. I believe the Holy Spirit has has given that to me. But I can tell you, I didn't know that until somebody asked me to teach a class. And I didn't really want to do it, but I felt obligated to this. Scooter asked me, he said, will you come help me teach this class? I'm like, well, I can't say no to Scooter, but I didn't want to do it. And then I got in it and we were supposed to half-time teach. Next thing I know, I'm... I'm doing all because Scooter's like, hey, you way better at. Because I did have the gift. Yeah, <laughs> Scooter, like, yeah, you're way better at this than I am. You do it. So next thing I know, that's ten years have gone by. But the problem was, I just everybody with me, just start doing. And sometimes it's not your thing, but sometimes you find out it is your thing. 
I mean, that's really how it starts. You don't, if you sit around waiting for the Lord to write on the wall, you have this gift. I don't think that's, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he'll do that for you. But I think most time you just need to find somebody to start helping. And you ask me, how will you know it? You'll know it because you love it. You'll know it because you enjoy it. You know it because it'll give you a contentment and a satisfaction that nothing else gives you. And you'll know it because you'll do it with the enthusiasm of something that God himself is empowering in you. It just doesn't get old. Year after year after year, you just keep doing it because the Holy Spirit has, has empowered you. Now, last week, we took a look at 15 of the gifts, and we kind of started with the ones that weren't very controversial, right? We talked about helps and administration and exhortation and serving, and, and we got those out of the way. And then today, we said we're going to look at the more controversial ones, and those are what we call the sign gifts. And the sign gifts are miracles, uh, healing. All right, here we go again. The sign gifts are miracles, healing, uh, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and, and prophecies. Okay, just give me a second here. All right. Now, there's no real question among Christians as to whether the sign gifts are scriptural. Okay, everybody agrees with that. All right, if you, talk to, you go to a Baptist church or an Assembly of God church, you go to any church, everybody agrees that the gifts are scriptural because they're staring at us right there in the Bible. Everybody agrees that they existed at one time, once again, because you can't read the books of Acts without seeing tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy and healing and all, and all of those things. But where everybody, everybody agrees on that, where the disagreement arises is whether those gifts should still be in, in, in action today or still be working today. Now, this issue has... You know, over the years, engendered a lot of debate uh, in, and a lot of division uh, within the church, especially in the last hundred years. Now, I brought a couple of books today. Um, what did I do with them? Wow, I lost my books. Oh, here they are. Um, this one's your scooter, by the way. Um, I brought a couple of books just so you know. This is a book by Jonathan Edwards. You ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? This is a book written by him. It's called The Religious Affections. Affections is an old word for emotions. It's an old English word. This basically means the religious emotions. Uh, this was in the Great Revival in the, in the 18th century, in the 1730s and 1740s uh, that happened here in America. And there was people falling out and people speaking in tongues and all this kind of stuff. And Jonathan Edwards wrote this book because there was a lot of debate in the church and division in the church. Jonathan Edwards wrote this book in 1746. It's called The Religious Emotions. So don't think that this is something that just has come about in the last 50 years or the last 100 years. This has been going on for a good 250 plus years, at least here. In the, ever since we came over here to this country, this debate has been, has been going on. And I can tell you up front that if you're looking for a scripture, one scripture in the Bible that says the gifts, the sign gifts have ceased, you're not going to find it. But if you're looking for one scripture that said the sign gifts must continue, you're not going to find that either. Okay? Because no, scripture nowhere expressly says one or the other. Okay? So that's, that's why you have a lot of, of division. So you have groups that fall on both sides of the aisle. And, and it really is amazing how the differences between these groups. I mean, how, think about it this way. There are some people that say if you speak in tongues, it's from the devil. And on the other side, there's people that say if you don't speak in tongues, you ain't saved. 
I mean, you don't get much more extreme than that, right? One says, yep, that's from the devil. The other says, well, if you don't do it, you ain't even saved. So you've got two real extremes on this. And the problem is they both, both sides of the aisle use Scripture to, to justify or support their position. So it can, get, uh, it can get pretty confusing when you start talking about the sign gifts. Now, for the most part, you can break people up into three categories, okay? Now, you can get more than this. You know, if you want to get real specific, you can start, you know, getting them into five or six categories. But for simplicity's sake, you can really break them up into three categories. On the left are what we would call cessationists. And cessation comes from the word cease. Um, they believe that the sign gifts stopped at basically at the end of the first century. Um, when, when, scripture, when scripture was written down, when the apostles died off, all the sign gifts stopped. They, they ceased. They are no longer in operation today. This group would be called uh, cessationists. On the other side of the spectrum is you would have what we call charismatics. Anybody remember what the word charismat, charisma means? from last week? Come on now. This is really depressing me. Charis means grace. Mata means gifts. Charismata means grace gifts. It's just gifts from the Holy Spirit you didn't earn or deserve. So charismatics, these are people who believe the sign gifts are for today, and they also believe that you should go after them with everything you got, that they should be openly pursued. Um... I mean, just go after it with everything. Then in the middle, you have what I would call a, a pretty large group who are what we call open but cautious. Now, these are people that believe that when you look at the Scripture, that from the Scripture, the sign gifts are for today. They didn't stop. They didn't seize. There's no, there's no evidence for that in the Bible. However, these people also believe that we should pursue them with caution. Okay, We should be careful when we're using them. Now, right off the bat, I'm, I'm the teacher, right? I'm the one doing all the speaking here. So you want to know, well, which one, which one am I? Well, if I had to put myself in one of those groups this morning, I would put myself in the middle. And I'll show you why here in just a little bit. I, I, I believe, uh, and I'll say this here, it's my opinion that the sign gifts are still for today. They did not cease. They did not stop. They're still in operation today. Um, I don't believe they stopped when the apostles died. I don't believe they stopped when the, when the Bible was written down. Now, I will tell you this. If someone disagrees with me, that is perfectly fine, okay? That is perfectly fine. I bought another book a couple weeks ago. This book is called Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, and um, it's, it's written by a guy by the name of Wayne Gruden, um, who I got a lot of respect for. And there are, basically they got four guys, they all got PhDs and LLDs and WWDs and all these Ds behind their names. They are way smarter than I am, and they all four of them disagree. Okay? I mean, they're, and they're way smarter than I am, and they all disagree. And, and so I wanted to see what their arguments were. And so I, I read the cessationist argument, and I read the charismatics argument, and I read the open but cautious argument. So again, those guys are a lot smarter than I am, and they disagree. Some of them disagree with me. So if you do, that's perfectly that's perfectly okay. Um, but I want to start this morning, and I want to I'm going to teach something this morning. I want I want you to know where I'm coming from, and I think this is very very important. 
In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And what's those next three words? Profitable for teaching. You see, when I come in here on a Sunday morning and I teach, there, there's only one thing. If I, if I want to profit you, if I want you to walk out of here uh, more encouraged, I want you to be more mature, I want to profit you, right? There's only one way to do that. There's only one thing that's profitable for that, and that's the Bible. Okay? Not my opinion. It's not what I think about things. It's not, it's not my eyes. You see, you cannot go by what your eyes see. If, if I go by what my eyes see, I would think Christianity's in trouble. Wouldn't you? If you looked around and just go by what your eyes see, you would say, man, Christianity's in trouble. But that Bible says all is well. Does it not? If I go by what my eyes see and, and we lose a Christian, or a, you know, a young Christian dies, my eyes say, man, that's a tragedy. But that Bible says that's a victory. See, that's why 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. I walk by what the Bible says, not what I can see. So I can look around and see evidence, and, I, and evidence might say, well, this is this, or that's that. That means nothing. When I come to teach, I'm going to teach from what the Bible says. So I've got a lot of opinions. I, I got a lot of questions. But that this morning really means nothing. What matters is what does this Bible say? So that's what we're going to we're going to go by when we, when we teach a lesson like this. So what I'm going to do this morning for simplicity's sake is I'm going to kind of start from Scripture and I'm going to give you the argument for the cessationist. These are the people that say, say the gifts are no longer for today. And then I'm going to answer that. And by the way, their argument comes from Scripture. They have certain Scriptures. Then I'm going to show you also from Scripture why I just cannot agree with that. Um, I, I, just, I just can't agree with their, with their arguments. So we'll go through this. And there are, there are four of them. Number one, the first argument is this. Since we now have the Bible, this is the argument of the people who think that the sign gifts have ceased. Remember, sign gifts are healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Since They say this, since we now have the Bible, we no longer need the sign gifts. Okay, now, where do, they, where do they get that from? Well, they get it from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. All right, and let me read that. It says this, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. And if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be will be done away. Now right there, it does say very clearly that there is coming a time when the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of tongues and the gift of knowledge will pass away. Everybody see that? It says it very clearly. Yes, there's coming a time, a a, a time in history, a time and a place where those gifts will, will go away because we will not need them anymore. And when is that time going to be, Paul? Well, Paul tells us when the perfect comes. Okay, well, that engenders us a question, right? Well, then what is, what is the perfect? Let's go on and read what it says. Paul says, When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, and I thought as a child, and I reasoned as a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, and that then means when the perfect comes, we'll see face to face. 
Right now I know in part, but then when the perfect comes, I shall know fully, just as I I have also been fully known. Now again, some people vigorously maintain that when it says the perfect, it means the Bible. And by the way, the Bible is perfect. Uh, Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Therefore, they say the perfect has come, the perfect Word of God has been written down and given to us. Therefore, we don't need gifts of prophecy, we don't need gifts of knowledge, we don't need gifts of... we don't need those things anymore. The sign gifts have, have ceased. Now, my question is, is that what the, the passage is referring to? Is it referring to uh, the Bible? Well, let's look at it. Paul says, when the perfect comes, then we shall see face to face. Now, the only infallible interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. Would we agree? You can't take one verse and say it means this. You've got to look at all the other verses. Um, And so let's do a very quick uh, examination of Scripture and see how Scripture uses the term face-to-face. And that should help us, right? So that phrase, by the way, face-to-face, is used throughout the Bible. Uh, In the Old Testament, it's in Genesis 32, Exodus 33, Numbers 12, Deuteronomy 5, Jeremiah 32. And when it's used, it's always used about an encounter with a person. Always. You'll never find it used in any other way other than an encounter with a person. In fact, God uses it in the Old Testament and it always means a visual, personal encounter with Him. Always. It never refers to anything else other than an encounter with a person. Same same thing in the New Testament. It's always used speaking of a personal encounter. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 2 John 1, 3 John 1. They all use that term and it all has to do with a person. So when, you, when the Bible says, when the perfect comes, we shall see face to face, it seems most logically, according to the Bible, that it's talking about a personal encounter. Okay, At least that's how the Bible seems to use it. On the other hand, think about this. If you take the position that the perfect is the Bible, that means that right now we are encountering Jesus face to face. Now, is that true? No, it's not true at all. We're not, we're not doing that right now. Okay? In fact, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Then Paul goes on to say this, Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Once again, we have to look at Scripture. What does it mean by known? Okay? Um, same thing. Scripture. If you go through Scripture, and every time Scripture talk, talks about God knowing us, knowing a person... Um, he talks about eternal life, for example, as to what? Know Jesus. Every believer is known by Jesus. John 10, Galatians 4, Romans 8. All those verses refer to a relationship between us and Jesus, us and God. Okay? It's always this personal relationship when he talks about uh, being known. So when, you say, when, it, when Paul says, even then I shall know, even as I am fully known, it, it seems to... to obviously to me, refer to a relationship with God. It it talks about knowing Him the same way that He knows us. Well, when will that happen? Okay, do you know Him fully now? Anybody? I don't. I don't know Him fully. I know Him, but I don't know Him fully. Every day. In fact, the Bible tells us your Christian life, you should be what? 
growing in the knowledge of Christ, does it not? That means every day you're learning more and more and more. But you don't come to one day, oh, I'm, I know him, I have nothing else to know. Anybody? No. No, you can get in that Bible every day, and that Bible is awesome and it's perfect, but you will not, you will not know him fully until when? Until he returns, until he comes back. You see, the fact is, we do have the Bible, and we're able to see a reflection of Christ in it, but the fact is that we are still corrupted by our sin nature. We're still in our fallen state. And the fact is, we see through sinful eyes, even today, do we not? See, that's exactly what... Don't, please don't ever miss what... I, this, this little passage right here where Paul says, For now, we see like in a mirror dimly, or we see through a glass dimly. Everything now is dim until the day you die. It's It's dim. Because you're in this fallen body. You've got a fallen mind. You're seeing through fallen eyes. The only time that goes away, when that finally goes away, is when Jesus comes back. It's the fact when Jesus comes back that we see through resurrected bodies and we no longer have to deal with this sinful flesh. Then we'll see Him face to face. Then we'll fully know Him. Why? Because First John says, then we will be like Him. We'll have glorified bodies. We, we won't have to battle sinful natures and sinful, sinful uh, uh, flesh anymore. So it seems obvious to me. Now, some people disagree, but it just seems obvious to me when you read that Scripture that those two statements are only true when the perfect one, Jesus Christ, comes back. That just seems obvious to me because it's then that we'll see Him face to face. It's then that we will know Him the exact way that, that he knows us. In fact, with that in mind, if you think about that, you, you kind of have to fall on two places here. If you believe that the perfect is the Bible, then you believe the gifts have ceased. But if you look at that scripture another way, if you believe the perfect one is Jesus, then that scripture specifically tells us that they will not cease until he comes back. Does everybody see that? Okay, no, I don't know what's going on. There's beeping and, and stuff. I don't know. Um, but everybody, everybody get that, because if the perfect one is Jesus, that means they will not stop until he returns. So it's saying the exact opposite thing. By the way, that is backed up by a scripture in Corinthians that we studied earlier, 1 Corinthians 1.7. This was like our first or second week in our lesson. We said this, Paul says, "...so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ." The Greek word here for revelation is apocalypsis. It's where we get the English word apocalypse. See, Paul is saying you have the gifts and you are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the apocalypse uh, means. So, I mean, that's backed up there that you, you, the gifts will remain until Jesus returns. The second argument of the cessationists say this, the purpose of healing and miracles was to validate the message of the apostles. In other words, what some people say is, in other words, once the Word of God was set down into Scripture, you didn't no longer needed the gifts. In other words, think about this. Years ago, Jesus sends out the, the 70, right? And He tells them, go out and heal the sick and cast out demons and all that. They just go out in these villages and they're just... These people are looking at them like, who are you, right? Why should we believe you? Well, the reason you believed them was why? Because they're laying hands on people and demons are being cast out and, and legs are growing and dead are being raised, right? 
and you might say, man, these guys kind of know what they're talking about, right? Um, so a lot of people say that's the purpose of the gifts, to validate the Word of God, to validate the Apostles' message. But once Scripture was written down, we don't need the gifts anymore. They, they go away. Um, now, let me ask a quick question. Was that the purpose of signs and wonders to, va- to witness to the Word of God? Anybody? Absolutely it was. No doubt about it. Signs and wonders were and always will be God's witness to His Word. Let me give you some scriptures. Acts 14, 3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the Word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Got it? That's exactly what signs and wonders were for. Hebrews 2, 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Mark 16, 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. That's exactly what the signs were for. They validated the word that was being spoken by those, by those men. Signs and wonders, that's exactly what they are. They're a witness to his word. They're not over his word. They're not against the word. They're not, you know, they're just, they are divine witnesses to the value and the truth and necessity of the word. That's what they were then. Okay, now here's the problem, and I'm going to give you a quote here. This is a quote from John MacArthur. Let me read the quote, then I want to say something about him. John MacArthur says this, The miracles only confirm the Word, and once the Word is done, in other words, the Word of God is written down, the miracles have no reason to be. Miracles have not occurred since 100 A.D. as the norm in the life of the church because God isn't revealing His Word anymore. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's all complete. So the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. You don't need any more than that. He goes on to say, Apostles did miracles, and the only ones beyond the apostles were those tightly connected to him. When the apostles were not present, no miracles occurred. There's no occasion of a miracle occurring without an apostle present. Now, everybody know know, know who John MacArthur is? Now let me say this about him. I love that guy. I think when, when I study my lessons for Sunday morning... There's about five people I go to. He's one of them. Okay? The, the, the fact that I stand here today, and I started years ago, and we went through the book of Acts, and we went through the book of what? Anybody remember? We went through Ephesians, and we went through Romans, which took us two years, and we went through Hebrews, and we went through John, and now we're going through 1 Corinthians. The, that all happened because years ago, Pastor Henry gave me a CD, and I stuck it behind my visor because I don't really like people giving me CDs. And it sat there for a year. And then one day I was waiting for Kathy or Micah or somebody sitting in a parking lot. And I stuck it in. And I had no idea I would never be the same. I had never heard anybody preach like that. And so I started downloading his stuff. And I realized, man, the guy goes through a book of the Bible. And he doesn't skip anything. I didn't know people did that. And I thought, I, I could do that. Right? And I did. So I've, I owe him, through the Holy Spirit, used him. It's a, he, I owe him a great debt. And I still use him today, but I disagree with him. I just disagree with him. And that's okay. That, that's okay. I, I think he's wrong. And, he, and he's way smarter than I am. But I still think he's, he's wrong. Now here's why. In order for his argument to stand, what he's saying is that in the early church... God confirmed the word of the apostles through signs and wonders. And after the apostles died and the word was written down, 
We don't need them anymore. Now, in order for that to be true, you've got to make an assumption. And the assumption is that the gifts were never given to ordinary Christians. That they were only given to authoritative figures in the early church. Men like Jesus and the Twelve and Stephen and Philip. But they weren't... Everybody with me? In order, you have to assume they were never given to just normal, regular people in the church. But is that true? Well, I don't think it is. I think the problem with that view is that when you really look at it, it just doesn't stand up under scrutiny. In fact, listen to today's passage. Just read this passage, what it says. Look at it. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To another, the gifts of healing by the Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit to apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, what does that sound like he's saying? Everybody. Doesn't it, doesn't just, isn't that just the normal reading? That it's just, he give you, you got, here's some healing, here's miracles, here's helps, here's administration. He just does what he wants to do in the church. That's exactly what it sounds like. In fact, if what John MacArthur says is true, that it was never given to ordinary people, then think about what he's writing right there. When you read that passage, the impression that you get is the gifts are just given according to God's will to various people in the church. In fact, it defies belief for me that what Paul is really saying right there in that passage is, oh yeah, I don't mean you, I meant that apostle. But he never says that, does he? When you just read it, it sounds like he's just talking about normal people, regular people in the in the church. In fact, when we get later on down to 28, it sounds even more unlikely. Let's look at verse 28. It says, God has appointed those in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, what? Miracles. When I wait a minute, apostles were here, then he said miracles. That's, that doesn't sound like it's restricted to the apostles at all, does it? Then helps, administration, variety of tongues. See, I, I just, you just don't get that idea when you read Scripture at all that he's, that he's saying only leadership or only... It sounds like he's talking about normal people. In fact, in that Scripture, it seems like miracles is clearly delineated uh, separately from, from the gifts of healing. Uh, we saw the same inference when we went through Galatians a few months ago. Galatians 3.5, Paul is writing to the church at Galatians. He says this, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. See, some, somebody was doing miracles amongst them. Okay, And when you just read that scripture, the most natural meaning is that the Holy Spirit is doing miracles in their midst. Does it not sound like that? I mean, he doesn't say, you just go on and on, but it just sounds like when he's talking, he's talking about normal people in the, in the church. Now, real quickly, I don't want to take anything away from the apostles. Okay, the apostles were great men. They were eyewitnesses. They were chosen by God to, to be authoritative spokesmen. And we have their final revelation in the New Testament, which is our measuring rod for everything that we do. And did miracles and healing authenticate their ministry? Absolutely, yes, it did. Does that mean we need to keep the gifts of healings and miracles away from normal, ordinary church people? No, I just don't see that at all. I don't see the New Testament reads that way at all. In fact, if you go back and look at the apostles, the miracles were only a part of what uh, validated their ministry. You go back and read it. it uh, in fact, if signs and wonders 
validated a ministry, then every one of us can be fooled in a hurry because the Bible clearly says that false prophets can perform signs and wonders, does it not? See, it can't be the only thing that, that does that. In fact, listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? Are, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? See, when he starts validating his ministry, he says, here's what validates me. Number one, I saw Jesus. Number two, look at you, he said. Have you not been born again? Are you not a body of Christ? He said, that's my seal. That seals me as an apostle. He never even mentions miracles. Now, obviously, it was part of what he did, but it wasn't everything. Um, so again, miracle working was only part of their credentials. Um, what this all means is that the uniqueness of the apostles' ministry is not at all jeopardized when we say that the gifts of healing and miracles were given to other Christians in the early church. And if it happened back then, it is true today. Okay, doesn't mean if, if he gave them to, to ordinary people in the church back then, he'll give it to ordinary people in the church today. So again, it's one of those arguments that kind of sounds good, but when you really go into Scripture to try to, to try to flesh it out, it just doesn't seem to hold water. Number three, and i got to get going. Now this is, a, this is one we're going to talk about a lot in the next couple of weeks. Some people say gifts like prophecy and tongues would add to the canon of Scripture. Okay? Now let me explain what they mean. Now this is a really good argument. When you first hear this, you're like, whoa, <laughs> that's a good argument. In other words... The Bible clearly says that the canon of Scripture is closed. Everybody know what I mean by that when I say the canon of Scripture, right? That um, Revelation 22, uh, John says, I warn everybody, you don't add anything to this book. Don't add anything to this, to this book. Jude 3 says this, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. When he talks about the faith there, he's talking about the corporate faith, everything that was delivered to us, the, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the Gospel, everything. It was delivered once for all. That there, nothing needs to be added to that. That's what he's, what he's talking about. John MacArthur says this, And so through the Scriptures, God has given us a body of teaching that is final and complete. Our Christian faith rests on historical objective revelation. That rules out all inspired prophecies and other forms of new revelation until God speaks again at the return of Christ. What he's saying is God has spoken, and this is His Word. And we agree with that, right? So think about this. If somebody stands up and gives a word of prophecy, are they speaking for God? Is that God's words, yes or no? Yeah, if they're a true prophet. Well, wouldn't that add to Scripture? That's a good argument. I mean, that's a, that's a good argument, but does it make sense? Well, again, in order to hold that view, you've got to make an assumption that all prophecies in the past were added to Scripture. Everybody with me? If you say that prophecies would add to Scripture then you're assuming that all prophecies in the past were written down and added to Scripture. Now, is that true? Well, that's not, that's not true at all. 1 Samuel 10.10, When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. What did he say? Does anybody know? You'll never know because he didn't tell you. See, Samuel prophesied. He, he, was he speaking the words of God? Absolutely he was. Guess what? They didn't write it down. Ezra 5.1, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews. What they say? Anybody? 
We don't know. Because <laughs> I didn't write them down. 1 Kings 18.4, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave. Okay, there was a hundred prophets. Anybody know what they ever said? Anybody know their names? No, you don't know anything about them because it wasn't written down. In the New Testament, Acts 15.32, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Anybody know what they said? No, didn't write it down. Um, you go on, Acts 21.9, Now this man Philip had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Anybody ever know what they said? No, because they didn't write it down. See, the Bible clearly states they were prophetesses. Try to say that three or four times real fast. <laughs> clearly says that, but we have no idea what they, what they said. And if prophecy has ceased, what are we supposed to do about the future? Revelation 11.3, I'll grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They're going to prophesy for three and a half years. Right? We, we, see, the fact is, throughout the Bible, there are prophets who have prophesied, and that was never added to the canon of Scripture at all. Okay, we see that over and over and over again. So to say that if you prophesy today in the church, it adds to the canon, that, that makes no sense to me, because that's never been true. The, God has always chosen to speak through prophets outside of of scripture. Okay, and we'll talk about that a lot more because that's very important. What makes prophecy different from scripture? That is crucial to understand. Okay? Last argument, got to go real fast. There is such an abuse and misuse of gifts that they pot, they just cannot be real. Okay? That's the argument just from not from those not so much from scripture, just from your mind, right? They they are just there's so much going on out there. There's so much fake stuff. There is so much out of control. And by the way, I agree completely with that. There is a lot of fake. There is a lot completely. I agree with all that, right? I don't deny that the gifts are misused. I've been around a long time. I've gone to Pentecostal churches. I've heard a lot that I know was wrong. I know was, was fake. I know was coming out. I, I've seen all that. I, I get all that. But does that mean everything is fake? Let me ask you this. Would you say the gift of teaching has ceased because there's false teachers? Anybody? Of course you wouldn't. You would never say, well, the gift of teaching ain't real because look at all the false teachers. You'd never say that. Well, see, you same thing. You can't use the same argument for the sign gifts. You can't just say just because there's all this fake stuff going on, therefore they have ceased. That argument makes no sense whatsoever. In fact, I would tell you, one of the reasons there's fake is because there's, there's fake dollar bills because there's some, such a thing as a genuine. There's fake gifts because there's such a thing as a, as, a, as a genuine. So again, you can't discredit the gifts based upon false experience. In the end, folks, listen, experience, good or bad, should never create truth for you. Don't ever let experience create truth. Scripture is truth. Scripture is truth. It alone dictates what we believe, not what we see with our eyes. Okay? So we, we're going to spend a couple more weeks here on these sign gifts. Next week we're going to talk about healing and miracles. Then we're going to talk about, actually we'll be here about three. We're going to talk about prophecy, and then we're going to get into tongues, and we're going to explain them and talk about them, what's right, what's wrong, and wish me luck and pray for me as we go through all that. Let's pray. Father.